What's up, everybody? You're listening to the 10 After 7 Podcast with your host, Michael Cody Stevenson, episode 11 on YouTube. Thanks for tuning in. I had to do this one. It's a late night podcast. I got lights now. Thanks to my brother, Tommy. Shout out to him. I'm fired up. That Jordan doc, I've never been to church, but two hours every Sunday watching this thing, it's got to be something quite like it, right? Am I wrong here? Is that wrong to say? This is my church. Two hours every Sunday, listening to Michael Jordan put dudes in caskets 25 years later. Let's break it all down. What did he do in these two episodes? Let's start with the first episode. All the information comes out about his dad. Terrible. Can't even imagine what he has gone through. I lost my dad at a young age. Not like that. His dad murdered. How do you deal with that circumstance? After winning his third championship, the first three-peat, that's what he goes through. So they talk about the baseball. Terry Francona makes an appearance. His manager with the Birmingham Barons says, you know what? Jordan hit 200 that year. Drove in 50 runs. There was a hell of a lot of good prospects out there that didn't drive in 50 runs. He gets 1,500 at-bats. Maybe he makes it to the big leagues. That was the first thing. And then Jordan's comeback. I've read about Jordan. I know the stories about Jordan. I'm a sports historian. There were quite a few things in these two episodes that I did not know about. First, he comes back after going to a couple practices during the baseball strike Doesn't want to be a replacement player. Shout out to him for that. That's badass. I'm not going to make it to the big leagues that way. No chance. Nope. If I'm going to make it to the big leagues, I'm going to do it when the big leaguers are out there and I'm playing against the best of the best. So BJ Armstrong takes him out to breakfast, goes to a practice, and that itch just becomes more and more of an itch. That one itch that you can't get to, and then when you get to it, you're just scratching. That was Jordan's basketball itch. So he goes to a couple couple practices here and there, ends up going to a handful, and then calls up Jerry Reinsdorf. Hey, it's time. I want to come back. They're in the middle of the season. The Bulls are struggling. Struggling this year. Middle of April. Playoffs are about, what, 25 games away? Jordan steps in. And the best thing about this Jordan doc, if you guys haven't been doing it, watch Scott Van Pelt at the end of every single Sunday. That last episode ends. He has someone to come on to the Sports Center and talk about it. And this time he had Doris Burke and Michael Wilbon. Michael Wilbon, good friends with Jordan, Chicago guy. Doris Burke covered the NBA. She was in it back in the day. All through the Jordan era, she was there. So I was interested. What's, what's Scott going to ask, you know, about these episodes? First question he asks, he goes, you know, I was really taken back at the end of episode one. You know, they talk about his dad, the murder, how people, you know, the media was linking him to it, which was totally wrong. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. And she says, think about it this way. 
This guy, who ties his shoes the same exact way to a T before every single basketball game he's ever played in. This is the first one he's about to play without his dad. And he wears his shorts backwards. Backwards. Can't even put his shorts on right, playing the first game without his pops. I can relate. A couple months ago, I lost my mom. The next day, a blur. I felt like I wasn't even there. You're kind of just going with the flow. You're really not there. You're just moving, but nothing around you is happening. I remember driving for the first time, listening to sports radio, and I'm a huge sports radio guy, and nothing they said that day I could give a shit about. They were talking about the national championship. I remember that. David Pollock came on Dan Patrick. And I was like, man, shut this off. I don't even want to hear it. Tried to go to a Starbucks. I was driving. Couldn't find this Starbucks. And I think I put it in my GPS, and I think this Starbucks was inside a mall. I was convinced it was inside a mall because I couldn't find it anywhere. So I get out of my car, go into the mall. No one's there. It's like 9.30 a.m. There's like three people in the mall. It's Christmas decorated. They have the whole setup where Santa is. And I'm just walking around aimlessly. I can't find a Starbucks. I'm just walking. I'm not there. I literally feel like I'm floating. Floating. So when she said that, she says, yeah, this guy couldn't even put his shorts on. I related. I was like, yep, makes complete sense. For the first time, he was playing a basketball game without his pops. And he was floating, probably. Didn't know what to do, where he was at. He was just going about his business. Trying to make it as normal as possible. But deep down inside, it wasn't. So she says that. And then Scott Van Pelt says, so why was he so taken back in that episode at the end of it when he's talking about his teammates? How he was as a player, trying to explain how he was 20 years ago. And she says, Michael Jordan, you got to realize this guy has two young daughters right now. And you forget that. You go, oh, Jordan. They show his kids in the documentary. He has two young daughters. And that's where he's taken back. I think it got to him because he's trying to explain why he was such a jerk. Why he had to go to the leaps and balances of where he went to get his guys to play on the level that he was at. And he said winning has a price. Winning has a price. So he's talking about these guys. And the one quote that stood out to me. He goes, I never asked these guys, ask any of my teammates, I never asked these guys to do something that I didn't fucking do. Which that is the epitome of a leader. Because you have guys that think they're the shit, think they're better than everyone else. Say, hey, hold my bags to the rookie. Say, hey, give me a drink of water. But no. Jordan said he never asked those guys to do what he didn't do. And maybe he had to do that as a rookie. Maybe he had a rookie carry his bags. That was the thing back in the day. I read the Jordan rules. And hazing wasn't a thing for Phil Jackson. He tried to push back on it. But I know Jordan was running every single sprint. He talked about the Indian runs that they were running when Rodman went on his Vegas trip. He was doing everything and anything to be a winner and to get his guys ready to play. And when they were struggling that one year, when they lost the Orlando Magic... That was the last playoff series they lost. 
Guess what happened the next year? That team went on to win 72 games, an NBA record at that. And they still have the best winning percentage in NBA history. So when you're watching this and you see him cry, not when they're talking about his dad, he gets a little choked up. He seems frustrated, which by all accounts, he should be. The media treated him like shit. But that moment when he starts crying, talking about his teammates, Jordan's not a jerk. And when he cries, he's just trying to let it be known that he has two daughters back home that never saw him at that state. And he wants to let them know, I did this because that's what I had to do. And he even mentions, if you weren't with me, fine. If you weren't rolling with me, if you didn't want to play how I wanted to play, so be it. You weren't going to be my guy. And they talk about his teammates, the fights, Steve Kerr. And all credit to Steve Kerr, a little guy even admits, I love Steve Kerr. He's great. And we even seen his blow-ups with the Golden State Warriors. So when he says, yeah, I, I stepped up to him, I threw a punch. Can you imagine throwing a punch at Michael Jordan? You're a little white dude in the NBA and you're throwing a punch at Michael Jordan during practice. And then take a black eye because of it. You're going to earn his respect. Scotty Pippen. Scott Van Pelt also brought it up. Kind of getting a bad rap here. We know how great a defender he was. We know he's the greatest Robin who ever lived. But you have the headache game against the Detroit Pistons in one of the episodes that they highlighted earlier. And now you have the moment where he steps out, says, hey, I'm out. Phil Jackson, you drew up a play for Tony Kukoc. Not me. I'm the guy. I'm the guy that's the leader of this team without Jordan. You're not going to draw up the play for me. I'm out. And also, I remember a moment when I was playing basketball at Alameda Park. I remember I got taken out of a game. I was like fourth grade when I peaked at basketball. thought I was the shit. I remember getting taken out in the fourth quarter of a game. Remember my coach and everything, Andrew, took me out of a game in the fourth quarter. Thought I was cooking. Probably not. Probably made a couple jumpers here and there. I remember he took me out. Game goes into overtime. Asked me to go back in. I said, nope. And my mom and dad ripped into me. That was it for me. That's who taught me what team was. And in that moment, I knew I was never going to do that again. Because my parents were sitting there. They saw what happened. They saw me. The coach said, hey, Cody, get back in. We need you. I said, nope. Not going back in. It's a devastating moment. The cool thing about the Bulls. And Phil Jackson, Phil Jackson was furious when Scottie Pippen says, no, I don't want back in the game. They go in the locker room right after the game. And this is the middle of the playoffs, Eastern Conference semis. And Scottie Pippen says, no, I'm not going back in the game. And they go back in the locker room and Bill Cartwright's the guy to step up. Starts crying, you know, saying, I know Mace, I know Scottie made a mistake. Let's just, let's rally together. Scottie's crying. They all come to their senses. There was an interview on part of my take last week with Horace Grant. He talked about it. He said, yeah, we all knew Scotty made a mistake. We knew that wasn't Scotty deep down. He would never do that. He was just having a moment. Scotty admitted to his mistake. They went forward. That was, that was something I didn't know. I did not know that Scotty pulled himself out of the game. That's a low point, point in his life. And we won't remember Scotty that way. I think people that are watching the documentary right now, 
who didn't know anything about Scotty are probably like, man, the headache game. And now he takes himself out of a game. What is he doing? Who is this guy? No, listen. He was Michael Jordan's Robin throughout these six championships. And he deserves as much of the credit as anyone. He was that dude. And we saw it. They even highlighted it when Michael Jordan left to go play baseball. How dominant Scottie Pippen was that year he was gone. They had three All-Stars that year. How about that? Jordan walks away. They got three All-Stars. So my favorite part of this episode, two episodes, is Jordan the killer. The different breed that we don't see. Only Kobe could be compared to him. And we get the stories. LeBradford Smith. They play the Bullets one night on a back-to-back. First game. They're in Chicago. LeBradford Smith cooking. I never heard of LeBradford Smith until tonight. He's cooking. Has 37 points. And apparently after the game goes up to Jordan and says, Hey, good game, Mike. And Mike knows. Knows. He just got 37 dropped on him. And did he say good game, Mike? I don't know. It's out there that it may be myth. But Jordan used it. They go to Washington the next night. Second end of a back-to-back. And Jordan tells the players around and tells B.J. Armstrong, hey, I'm going to show this kid. I'm going to score 37 points in one half. See how he likes that. So he goes out, scores 36 in the first half. 47 on the game. They beat the Bullets. If it's a myth, to make that up in your head, Michael Jordan, you're a legend. So that's one. LeBradford Smith, casket. Then you got B.J. Armstrong. He was on those championship teams early on. Moves on to the Hornets. Gets Jordan when he comes back. That first year when he comes back. It's Hornets-Bulls in the playoffs. B.J. Armstrong has his day. He even said it. I just I was just having one of my games. He starts tearing up the Bulls. And he goes about to say, you know, I played for the Bulls. I know how to stop these guys. I'm going to have my day. I know what could get to Jordan. So he goes off. Hits a game-winning shot with a couple seconds left. Fist pumps. Looks at the bench. And even says, I was giving it to Jordan. That's a no-no, man. You got to know who you're talking to. And even MJ's on the dock saying, yep, BJ should have known better. So the rest of that series, BJ got it. MJ went at him every chance he could, cooked him every single time, and the Bulls go on to win. Unbelievable. BJ, casket. Then we move on to the NBA Finals in that 1996 year. And all it takes, all it takes for Michael Jordan to get going. He's had dinner with the moderate shot during the NBA Finals. George Carl's there sitting at the other end of the restaurant. George Carl gets up, walks straight out the restaurant, past Jordan's table, doesn't say a word to him. Jordan looks at him on and goes, you just do that? That's a whole little crock of shit, he said. And that's all he needed to get going. Bulls go up 3-0. He's just going at it with Gary Payton. 
3-0 lead in the NBA Finals. 76ers, a great team then. Sean Kemp, Gary Payton, Dan Patrick's been on record the last couple weeks saying there was times that Sean Kemp was the best player on the court during that series. Gary Payton talks about it. How George Carl said, you know what? The hell with your defensive player of the year, your all team. We're not putting you on Jordan. So Gary Payton says, no, I don't give a fuck what you're saying. Put me on Jordan. We're going to make this a series. So they win two games. And they show Michael Jordan. This is the best part of the documentary. It's great that Jason Hare, the director of it, gives Jordan these uh, iPads when players are talking about him. Gives him the iPad and Gary Payton saying, you know what? I was bumping Jordan the whole time. I was getting under his skin. I got him. And Jordan's watching this thing just cracking up, which will be a meme in itself. You know, Jordan might have done this entire documentary, just get new memes out of himself because they're out there. Him just cracking up looking at an iPad. I'm going to use it. Anytime anyone texts me anything, I'm just going to text them the picture of Jordan looking at an iPad and just laughing. It's hilarious. And Jordan says, Gary Payton wasn't a problem for me. He wasn't. I had other things on my mind. And then the documentary, towards the end, goes to his first NBA Finals without his pops. And I'd like to go back, another note, quick note, about Michael Jordan in this documentary. I don't think it could even happen that you could change your number mid-series from game one to game two. That's another thing. Nick Anderson, casket. Nick Anderson stole the ball in game one, hits a jumper, and at the end of the game... Even Horace Grant's saying, what are you doing? What are you talking about? And Nick Anderson says, man, 45 is different than number 23. Not the same dude. So Jordan says, I'm going to switch my number. I'm going to go from 45 to 23 from games one to games two. Crazy. And I love the way other players talk about Jordan. So then you have Gary Payton on this iPad talking about Jordan. And Gary Payton right before that says, he gave it to us in those first three games. He got in our ass. That's the quote. He got in our ass. So that game, the final clinching game of the NBA Finals, it's Father's Day. His first one without his pops. His kids are there holding up Father's Day signs. And he ends up winning it. Number four. And a lot of people have seen the Jordan pictures and whatnot of him crying after the NBA Finals. They put out the audio on episode eight, and he's weeping, man. Just straight up sobbing. Can't even catch his breath. It's one of those cries at the end of the game, just crying because his dad's not there at the NBA Finals on Father's Day when he gets his fourth. Just amazing stuff. We only have two episodes left. I'm devastated. What am I going to do? That's my church. It is my church. I already said it. That is my church every Sunday, two hours. Put my phone away. Don't talk. There's no one I can talk to, but I'm not texting anyone. I'm literally watching this thing, not saying a word. The only difference is I might have a beer in my hand. That's it. This thing's incredible. And if you haven't been, watch the Scott Van Pelt interviews afterward. Watch it. This past weekend, we also had UFC 249. A lot of my friends were stoked. Just fired up about having something to bet on. And UFC was kind of hyping it as the greatest card of all time. 
I was downplaying that. I was like, you can't have the greatest UFC card of all time and McGregor or John Jones isn't on it. Just sorry. Sorry. But I bought it, $65. And it was great. No fans. And there was a lot of things to take from with no fans. So Greg Hardy, you all know him as the former ex-NFL player, Panthers, Cowboys, All-Pro, ginormous human being. He goes in there against, uh, damn it, what's his name? I had it written down. But he looked like Alfonso Romero, uh, Carlton from Fresh Prince. And this guy's got, there's, there's dudes that have pecs where you're like, damn, that dude's stacked. He's got muscles that I didn't even know existed. And then there's dudes that have titties. And this guy had titties. In the first round, he comes out swinging, like throwing blows. I'm like, wow, Greg Hardy might get knocked out. He doesn't know what he's in for. He's on the main card. He does not know what he's in for. So the fight's going, and it's pretty even at first, but the other guy clearly has the bigger punches. And then you hear no crowds. And on the broadcast is Joe Rogan, Daniel Cormier, and Joe Anik. And Cormier is great. When you're watching UFC and you're just an average fan, which I think most people are, we've never been a fight in our life. And they tell you things that you don't even look for. So Hardy's fighting. And then I hear DC say, the worst part about fighting with those kicks is when you miss a kick and you hit one of your toes. It's the worst feeling ever. And you can imagine you can imagine how bad that hurts. We've stubbed our toes. We've hit our toe on something. And when you're going full-blown trying to kick a dude's leg and your toe gets bent the wrong way, that hurts. So after that, the dude actually hurt his foot. He wasn't moving. He was just taking punches from Greg Hardy. Greg Hardy ends up winning in the decision. And in his interview with Joe Rogan, interesting, he says, you know, with the crowd not here, I actually heard DC say, I need to start checking his leg kicks. So you're like, wow, this is the one sport where these guys are actually taking notes from the commentators. Crazy. He says, yeah, I heard DC. He was saying, check his kicks. I started to check his kicks, and that's when I was in. The guy admitted he had probably broken a toe at that point, but still amazing. And then you go on to the other fights. Uh, the big one was Justin Gacy uh, first. I don't know if I pronounced that right. You could tell. I was like, uh, did I? Did I not? Uh, so Gaethje against Tony Ferguson. <laughs> Tony Ferguson, they mentioned a bunch of times during the fight that he's not human. He just takes whatever punches, strong chin. There's strong chins, and then there's Tony Ferguson's chin. And I've never seen anything like it. It was supposed to be Khabib Ferguson. That's been the fight Dana White's been hyping up. And I've been more, I love when Dana White gets a wrench thrown in his plans. So if Tony wins, he still has the Khabib-Tony fight. But if Gaethje wins, then he doesn't have the big fight he's been hyping up for the last year. So Gaethje's just wrecking him. All five rounds. They're like, ah, can he last? Can he do it? He wrecked him. And then finally Herb Dean steps in after Tony takes another shot to the face, shakes his head, goes, basically, I'm done. I'm out. This is brutal. So they call up the fight. They interview Ferguson. He says, yeah, you know, if I'm going to go out, I want to sleep. I told Herb that it didn't happen that way, whatever. Then they interview Gaethje. They put the interim belt on him, and he takes the belt off, throws it. 
I don't know if you guys can see my spit flying out of my mouth. I hope you can't. It is what it is. So Gaethje takes the belt, throws it off, and Joe Rogan says, you don't, you don't want to wear it? And he says, nah, I want the real one. I told my guys I was coming in here to die tonight. I told them I was willing to die in this fight tonight. And I know Khabib's the champion. That's the one I want. That's the fight I've been training for. That's what I want. And he gave the whole speech. I loved his speech about his parents. That was the first fight his dad's never been at. And he says, you lead from the front. Just everything. I love that guy. I'm going to root for him against Khabib. He's my guy now. There's other fights. Dominic Cruz, the co-main event against uh, Henry Cejudo. It was a good one. Cejudo caught him. When, when, Dominic, when Dominic Cruz was going in, I've seen Cruz fight a couple times. And he's phenomenal. I do like him. I think he's a phenomenal commentator. He needs to probably stick to that after this one. Uh, and Cejudo knocked him out. People say it was a... Even Rogan was saying quick stoppage. I didn't think so. But Dominic Cruz had some good points. He said he was on his way up. And if you're on your way up, clearly you're not knocked out. I thought he was stone cold. Took five punches to the face. He was done. But... uh. Slow stoppage or early stoppage, I can't agree with. So Cejudo retires after. He'll be back. He's like 33 years old, maybe even younger than that. Gold medal champ champ. I think he'll be back in a couple years. That's the way it goes with fighters. Other fights, Jeremy Stevens and uh, is it Cater? Qatar? I don't know. He's from Boston. He absolutely, that was the knockout of the night. Elbow straight to Jeremy Stevens' face. And then cut him open on the uh, other end of that. Ball game, game over. He wins. Boston guy. Like him. It's going to be great to have fights. I didn't realize that UFC is putting on fights like weekly. It's not just weekends. Like they got a UFC fight night coming up on a Wednesday. So that's awesome of UFC. Yes, I love that Dana got a wrench thrown in his plans. But I'm also happy that he's doing this for the fans. UFC is going to have fights coming up. I'm not betting. Shout out to my friends at One Bets. I think my friend Kyle Slowey won one. Uh, John Serta said he won one. $200, I think, he was, was the come up. Good for him. My friend Beatty won. Thank God that Brian Dempsey won a bet. Because he said he was 0-10 in Korean baseball. That's impressive. There's impressive wins out there, but the losses are more impressive. When you bet 10 Korean baseball games, when it first gets started, and you don't win one bet, that might be more impressive. Seriously. Congrats to you. So it's a late night podcast. I don't know what news is going to break this week, but that's what we have. Last Dance and UFC this week crushed it. Good weekend. Mother's Day weekend. Phenomenal. UFC, keep doing it. Last Dance, two episodes left. Try to extend it. Give us 11 or 12. I know you have footage that you're not using. Use it. We need it. I need to go to church. Please. That's all I have for you. Thank you for tuning in to the 10 After 7 podcast. If you don't like this one, whatever. All right? I got lights now. Thanks, Tommy. Appreciate it. And I got a mic. Is this professional? I think it is. So you can follow me on Twitter at 10 after 7 or on Instagram at 10 underscore after 7.